Welcome to the American Shoulder and Elbow Surgeons podcast. I'm Peter Chalmers, a shoulder and elbow surgeon at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Rachel Frank, a sports and shoulder surgeon at the University of Colorado in Denver. Rachel, how are you? Doing well, Peter. Thanks so much. Great to chat with you. I should first mention that the views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the American Shoulder and Elbow Society, the University of Utah, the University of Colorado, or the Hospital for Special Surgery. Today, we have the supreme good fortune to be joined by our special guest, Dr. Frank Cordasco, who is the current president of the American Shoulder and Elbow Surgeon Society. Dr. Cordasco needs no introduction. For those of you who aren't as aware, I'll briefly review his background. After completing his medical degree at Rutgers, Dr. Cordasco completed his residency and fellowship at Columbia. He then joined the Hospital for Special Surgery, where he's currently a professor. He has served in numerous capacities at HSS, including as director of the Motion Analysis Lab, director of the Ambulatory Surgery Center, and many others. His contributions to research are too numerous to mention, with three NEAR awards over the past 20 years, as well as an AAOS Achievement Award, which is truly stunning. His contributions to the American Shoulder and Elbow Society are also too numerous to mention, and certainly our hope is that we can get into a little bit of that today on the podcast. Dr. Krasko, thank you so much, and welcome to this podcast. We're so excited to have you. Well, thank you both. I think uh, both of you, Peter and Rachel, have done just a phenomenal job with these podcasts. I've enjoyed listening to the first two, and uh, I believe this is an, an excellent initiative uh, for our younger members. And really, uh, the focus here is to try and get uh, as many people engaged in the society uh, at the earliest stage possible. So I, I'm truly honored to be part of this, and thank you very much for the invitation. Well, thank you again. This is going to be great. We're really excited about this podcast as well as our first two and all the future ones, but I think this one in particular will be really, um, really engaging for our members and our listeners and our subscribers. So, you know, we were hoping to take this opportunity with the third episode of this ASES podcast to talk about your experiences during your career and certainly over the past year as ASES president. The last year has been a tremendous year of growth for the ASES and for younger members such as Peter and myself. It's really been wonderful to see the focus of increasing that engagement between the leadership and the membership. So our first question for you, Dr. Cresco, is what has been the most interesting thing you have learned about the ASES during your year as president this past year? Well, first and foremost, it's been a, a, a true honor and a privilege to serve uh, our society. So, um, you know, I, I've obviously grown to know ASES over the course of my career. Um, I finished my residency in 1989 and my fellowship in 1990. And I was at a, a site that uh, was just a tremendously stimulating site as it related to shoulder and elbow surgery. Uh, my mentors included past presidents, uh, well, certainly founding president, uh, Dr. Neer, uh, past president, uh, Lou Biliani, uh, and a number of other uh, really phenomenal shoulder surgeons uh, at Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center at the time. And, um, you know, beyond that, we were hosting a phenomenal number of domestic and international shoulder visitors. So growing up uh, as a resident, uh, at that time, uh, we were routinely meeting some of the founding members. Uh, remember, there were 26 founding members of the society, and we're now 37 years old. Uh, we're about to have our 38th uh, annual meeting next month. And those founding members frequented uh, Columbia Presbyterian because of Dr. Neer's presence, 
and Dr. Biliani's presence and others, including uh, Steve McElveen, Peter McCann, uh, and uh, a host of other uh, younger members, future leaders. So my point was I, I met most of the founding members and additionally the, the founding, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the initial group of presidents. So for example, uh, the fourth president, Dr. Rockwood, the fifth president, Dr. Cofield, uh, Dr. Hawkins, Dr. Matson. These were all frequent visitors, and uh, these are all names that um, any of the listeners uh, to this podcast will know just based upon uh, their their long traditions. So your question, Rachel, is what have I learned about the society this year? I think I've uh, continuously been... Um, really not surprised because this goes back 30 years, but we are now surrounded by over a 1,000 members of the American Children and Elbow Surgeons this year, and each and every one of them has tremendous potential in my view. And I've been really graced to have a phenomenal number of thought leaders uh, within the leadership uh, realm of, of the society. So we obviously have an executive committee, uh, we have uh, a presidential line, but beyond that, we have chairs of multiple societies, each of whom uh, is is um, an international thought leader uh, unto themselves. So if you think about your second podcast with Drs. Aboud and Navarro, uh, they have tremendous uh, uh, experience in shoulder and elbow surgery, but more importantly, they have served our society and other societies throughout the course of their career. So it, it makes the president's role very easy, if you will, to uh, to really um, uh, advance the society uh, in forward with respect to these various initiatives. So that's a rather long-winded answer to your question, but I think what I've found this year is that I'm uh, just continuously impressed by all the members of our our society from top to bottom, including members like the two of you who are really uh, at the very beginning of what will be an outstanding career, and you have so many contributions uh, uh, moving forward that I know you will uh, accomplish. So that's been the best part of my year. It's it's just been a lot of fun interacting with all of you. It sounds like it's been such an amazing experience. It's been a real banner year for the ASCS, and I'm sure there's probably hard to pick, but what would you consider to be the proudest accomplishment of your year as ASCS president? Well, there are, there are many accomplishments, and I think, um, you know, it's if we just start with membership, and of course, uh, the second podcast kind of reviewed that, uh, if, if we think back to when I was a member, so I, I became a member, and it was one of the proudest achievements of my career in 1996. So I'd finished my fellowship in 1990, and at that time, the membership criteria were such that one had to pass their boards, so that required two years of practice, then become an American Academy of Orthopedic uh, Surgeons um, fellow, and that required an additional two years, so you were already four years into your practice. And then there was uh, the concept of uh, demonstrating that you had the ability to produce research separate from the work that you had performed as a fellow. So that, by definition, required another year or two of practice uh, before you could get those items published. So essentially, six years of my career had taken place before I was eligible to become a member. 
And then the other restriction, which had been established during Dr. Rockwood's tenure as president uh, and was part of the membership criteria dating back to 1987, uh, was that only five associate members could be chosen per year. So there was a cap per year. So in 1996, I joined four other associate members, uh, and they included Robert Hollinshead, who went on to become president of the Canadian Orthopedic Association, uh, George McCluskey, who was my co-fellow and went on to become and serve as secretary-treasurer of ASCS uh, and became a, uh, a CEO of a hospital in Georgia and has been very engaged over the course of his career, uh, Tony Miniacci, who is now uh, about to become chairman of the ASCS Foundation, and Jerry Williams, who, of course, served as past president of ASCS and past president of the Academy, so I was joining a class of um, associate members that I was obviously very proud to be part of, but there were only five of us. Uh, and this year we are uh, we have uh, admitted another 155 members to our society, and that to me is critically important for the society. And that that isn't something that I accomplished uh, uh, myself. Obviously, this is part of the presidential line and our. Uh, the last really seven or eight years uh, where we've in, in, uh, included a candidate membership category. And then this year in December of 2018, the active membership uh, voted in favor of uh, beginning a fellow member category, uh, which essentially allows PGY4s, fives, and fellows to apply for the fellow membership category uh, as soon as they've matched a fellowship, either in shoulder and elbow surgery uh, sports medicine or hand surgery in which they have two active members of ASCS as faculty. So this year we have uh, a new membership category of 70 fellow members that are joining ASCS uh, that have joined and are eligible to attend the meeting in October. So that's a far cry from uh, where we were in 1996. And I think growth is critically important. Um, Subspecialty society growth, I think, in general, uh, has been a controversial topic, not just with ASCS, uh, but across all subspecialty societies. And, you know, we certainly debated that concept uh, since the year 2000 when uh, Dr. Morey was, was president. Uh, we attempted to expand, meaning he and the presidential line at the time attempted to expand membership, and unfortunately the active membership voted against that. Uh, and then 10 years later, Dr. Williams, Jerry Williams, attempted to do the same thing. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, again, the active membership uh, uh, declined to accept that expansion. And finally, it wasn't until uh, Dr. Mallon, Bill Mallon, was able to get the candidate membership category through in 2015. And since then, we've seen uh, extensive growth, including this year's fellow member category, so that we now have over a thousand members in the society, and over 350 are at the fellow and member uh, candidate membership categories. So, 35% of our society now is really represented by young people, and we think that's critically important, and is really the uh, uh, the lifeblood of the organization moving forward. So that's very exciting. Uh, and then I think the the other components to this are related to engagement. So. We recognize that while we have all of these bright young members uh, now engaged in our society, we need to keep them in our society. 
because the reality is the associate member category criteria for advancement hasn't changed. So it's still a pretty steep bar. So uh, we at the leadership level, and you know, having undergone a, uh, a five-year uh, strategic plan process, which took place this year as well, which we can touch on perhaps as we move forward, uh, as part of that, one of our uh, focus points is to make sure that every member that gets admitted stays within the society because we really don't want to see attrition at that five-year mark. So I think I'll stop there. There's more to say, but uh, I'd like to hear more of your questions, and they may touch on some of the other things that I, that I would say otherwise. That's certainly one heck of a group of surgeons to become members of the ASDS with. I'm not sure I'd, I'd like to be applying with that group at that time. So I'm, I'm glad the ASDS has changed the ability for younger members to be able to get in and get engaged. You know, it, obviously, as you touched on, it's been a year of growth for the membership, and that's just incredible, especially for the society as a whole. Maybe touching more on that five-year strategic plan you were just mentioning, what do you see over the next few years as one of the greatest challenges or one or more of the greatest challenges facing the ASDS as the growth um, continues to occur seemingly exponentially now? Well, you know, I'll touch on the strategic plan uh, process because it really began uh, earlier uh, in 2018, and essentially it was a several-month process in which we had stakeholders both from inside and outside of our society, uh, that is, uh, presidents of other subspecialty societies, uh, leadership within our uh, technology partner group, uh, as well as uh, multiple uh, layers of members within our own society. So we we really approached this uh, from a very large uh, standpoint to really get as much input as we possibly could. And in the end, we met for two days in Chicago in April as part of a retreat, uh, and there were uh, a number of us, and uh, we can certainly those those names are available on the website. But essentially, we we put together uh, four uh, goals as part of our five-year strategic plan, which really runs from 2020 to 2024. And the first goal is really uh, advocacy, and it's to advocate for high-quality care and promote the specialty. The second goal is to enhance the member experience which gets back to some of the things I, I just touched on as it relates to our younger members. The third goal is advancing knowledge through education and research. And the fourth goal is to ensure society effectiveness and sustainability. And uh, with, with respect to each of those goals, there are then many uh, strategies and initiatives that uh, relate to various uh, committees within our society. Uh, and I'll just touch on the member experience one because I think it's relevant to what we just discussed as it relates to uh, one of the challenges. So, uh, you know, I, I think we just talked about how wonderful it is to to grow the society and, and all the reasons to do so, opening the society to younger members who are the future, uh, maintaining leverage within the context of a larger society such as the academy, and then maintaining re relevance within our profession of orthopedics, within the profession of medicine at large, and, uh, you know, within our uh, society at large, uh, namely patients, uh, payers, the government, et cetera. So those are the advantages. Uh, the, the, the other components that are sometimes concerning really relate to the challenges with rapid growth. And so the challenges with rapid growth really are uh, multiple. 
but one uh, relates to engagement specifically as it relates to all these young members. So uh, as one of the, these strategic um, missions, we're really attempting to uh, focus uh, our uh, approach on enhancing the membership experience within that group. So uh, how do we do that? Well, there are a number of ways to do that, and it starts at the beginning. So we want to uh, essentially develop mentor-mentee uh, relationships uh, with young members. We want to incorporate young members within the committee structure, and, and that's being done. That was done last year. Um, as you may know, the president-elect serves as the chairman of the Committee on Committees. So last year when I was president-elect, we attempted to get as many junior candidate members at the time uh, on committees as possible. Uh, and this year, I know that Bill Levine has done the same thing as president-elect and chairman of that uh, Committee on Committees. Um, we've obviously uh, established a candidate and fellow member symposium now at the annual meeting. So this October, we will have a full session on Saturday afternoon where I can assure you uh, all the leaders of our society will be present, and we're excited uh, for that uh, symposium. Uh, we've also provided a role within uh, the ASCS meeting abstract review process, uh, and we've required participation in JSCS manuscript review, uh, and we believe all of these things will help to uh, engage young members and therefore retain them as members within the society. Uh, we've also established, as, uh, obviously, as part of the website, a candidate corner and these podcasts that the two of you have so uh, uh, phenomenally uh, handled uh, are going to be part of that. So uh, I think we've really done quite a bit on that end in terms of enhancing the experience for young people. It's uh, it's truly incredible to hear about the process and the planning and all that goes into it. Um, I certainly am, am confident we're going to see all that come to fruition. One of the things that you mentioned was engagement with young members, and I think one thing that a lot of young members care about is, you know, if 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 you could go back and do it again, what would you do differently? So, what what advice would you give to young shoulder and elbow surgeons as they start their careers? And I'm especially interested as we expand our society to include hand fellows and sports fellows. What advice would you give to those in those fellowships that have a particular interest in shoulder and elbow? Yeah, I think that's a, a critically important question, Peter, because, you know, when I, when I started out in this field, when I grew up, so to speak, within shoulder and elbow, uh, it was a brand new field, if you will. It's kind of like hip uh, arthroscopy has been over the last 10 to 15 years. Well, 30 years ago, shoulder and elbow was... Uh, was really just breaking out, so to speak. And remember that our society was founded in 1982, and the first shoulder fellowships really developed uh, shortly thereafter. So uh, it was uh, very uh, stimulating, and it was a wide-open field. And so my point is the fund of knowledge has increased tremendously. And when you think about the breadth of shoulder and elbow topics, within the umbrella of the American shoulder and elbow surgeons, I think my advice to young people is come up with a strategic plan of your own. Think about what you're most passionate about as it relates to pathology and also patients. So what types of patients do you really like to take care of? What types of pathologies really stimulate and interest you? Because the reality is the way to become a master surgeon 
is to develop a high-volume practice. And you can't have a high-volume practice across every aspect of shoulder and elbow surgery in its entirety. So you need to think about it. Now, obviously, when we all start out, um, you uh, kind of have a broad approach. And some of that's dictated by the the, the practice milieu that you uh, are, are engaged with. So your partners, your uh, health system, you may be hired specifically for a, a niche. Uh, but if you if you haven't developed a niche of your own or you're not being asked to develop a niche uh, of your own within shoulder and elbow, I think it's critically important for young people to to really focus on one area. Um, you're you're not going to develop a high-volume revision arthroplasty practice and develop a high-volume complex reconstructive elbow practice and a high-volume UCL baseball elbow practice all together. So you kind of have to pick what you're most interested in, and that's the way you'll become a master surgeon, and that's the way you'll become a thought leader within our field as it stands now. Uh, it's critically important, I believe, for subspecialization within the subspecialty of shoulder and elbow surgery. And that that may sound, um, you know, when you're starting out, you want to do everything, obviously. But I think you have to project forward and think about where you'll be 10, 15, 20 years from now and what people will think of when they hear Peter Chalmers' name or Rachel Frank's name as it relates to a niche within uh, our our niche, if you will. Uh, so I, I think that would be my, my strongest advice. And you have to be happy uh, with your career and with with um, your patient population and the pathology that you're taking care of. You really want to – that's the way you will become um, someone who will have a recognizable name as it relates to uh, your, your uh, work product, if you will, and your research line. And the final point I'll make is – you can't become a master surgeon or a thought leader by publishing 50 systematic reviews. Uh, that's not to say you shouldn't publish 50 systematic reviews, but you also need to uh, really think about uh, some of the, the concepts that I just reviewed. Thank you very much. Definitely very, very enlightening. And I think um, for all our listeners and subscribers out there, we really need to take this um, this conversation and this advice to heart, especially as we start to develop our careers. You know, Dr. Cudesco, one question for you, and I know this is very near and dear to both Pete and myself um, because we've had a lot, we've had the fortune of training in the same place for residency and, and have had um, the opportunity to work with some superstars in shoulder and elbow and sports medicine surgery and we each have a number of mentors. Um, for you, who's been the most influential mentor on your career as a surgeon, uh, but also as a leader and as a leader within ASES? Well, that's a that's um, a great question, Rachel. And I and I think there's there have been so many uh, f for the reasons I mentioned earlier. You know, I sort of grew up with the original cohort of shoulder and elbow leaders, and so I, I would divide it in two. Uh, you know, the first third of my career essentially took place at Columbia Presbyterian. After I finished my fellowship with Dr. Neer, I went out to San Diego for two brief years. Um, and, uh, you know, after spending uh, a few years in northern Manhattan, I, I decided to go west, kind of a Horace Greeley move. And it, it was a great move at the time. Uh, but I, I found that I missed New York. I missed the pace. And so my wife and I uh, moved back to New York 
which which is also where our our parents were from so there were you know there was a uh two components to that decision but in the end i i came back and i i started working uh at columbia and at the time it was roosevelt hospital which was a uh a component of the columbia health system at the time so i would say the first ha- the first third of my career was really other people that I mentioned earlier, uh, Dr. Neer, Dr. Biliani, uh, and others uh, who uh, really, w- many of whom trained at Columbia. So if you think about uh, the number of past presidents who who spent some time at Columbia, uh, it included a number of the people that I mentioned earlier. Uh, obviously, uh, Drs. Rockwood, Hawkins, Matson, Cofield, uh, many of the original uh, past presidents spent whether it was months or a year with Dr. Neer and uh so that was a a group a very tight knit group if you will uh and um i i learned the most from that from that group during that first third of my my career uh then i had the the great fortune to uh be recruited to HSS and uh i've spent the last 20 years there and and uh Dr. Warren Russ Warren has been a phenomenal uh, leader and mentor of of that facility, along with many other members of uh, our society. So uh, we can go through the list. There are uh, at least uh, ten or twelve of our of my colleagues from HSS who are members of ASES. Uh, and when I chaired the membership uh, committee in 2005, uh, a number of those members uh, uh, became a number of those individuals, I should say became members of ASES. So uh, I'd say that uh, that those two groups, uh, kind of uh, where I grew up and then where I've matured, if you will, within uh, shoulder and elbow and sports medicine, those are the people that I would highlight. And, and I'd, I'd like to just say that, uh, you know, we have such an exciting group of, of people that we're surrounded by within our society. Uh, the two of you are at great facilities, great centers, and um, you know you can just look anywhere in North America and identify people that we all see at uh, annual meetings, at other subspecialty society meetings that we respect uh, and that we really enjoy uh, spending time with. It really is more of a big family, and uh, there's a lot of uh, friendships that develop over the course of one's career. So I think that's that's tremendously exciting. And getting back to advice for young members, uh, the key is enthusiasm. Be excited about what you're doing. And, and that's why I tried to focus a little bit on, on the part that's most exciting. We love to take care of people, and that's the beauty of medicine. So identify those populations that you really like to take care of, and uh, you'll find success in your career and success with your career trajectory. It's really um, it's awesome, awesome advice um, about enthusiasm. There's certainly um, it's difficult to find a li- you know the number of hours a day to pursue everything you might be interested in. What inspired you to, to what 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 provided you with the enthusiasm to pursue leadership within the ASCS as something that you were going to do? That's easy. You know, I I, uh, I was mentored by thought leaders within our society, so I you know I just aspired to do what they did because they, number one, they were fun to be around. Uh, number two, they clearly enjoyed what they were doing, and you know, let's face it, each of them 
maybe manifested it uh, that phenomenon a little bit differently, but they all collectively were thrilled to do what they did, and they were passionate about it. And you know, in your first podcast with Dr. Moore, you heard that. Uh, here's a past president of ASES, past president of the Academy, and here he is, uh, you know, so enthusiastic about what he continues to do. And uh, there's so many examples of that within our societies. So, uh, you know, I would say the, the short answer, Peter, is I was surrounded by, by leadership, uh, and and it, it kind of rubbed off. Um, you know, I'm just a uh, I, I, I've been very, very lucky in my career, uh, and uh, I, I benefited from all the people that taught me uh, and that mentored me along the, the road. So I, I think, again, highlighting that component of, of our society, the mentorship component, and uh, making sure that young people understand that the people who are in leadership uh, really enjoy interacting with young people. That's what keeps us all stimulated and challenged in life. And so they would love to to hear from you all. Uh, and I think that's that's a critically important part. Don't sit in the back of the room. Uh, go up and introduce yourself to to people. Uh, next month we're having a, a founders symposium at at our annual meeting, and that's an opportunity for people to come up and meet with uh, some of the founding members of our society, if you haven't done so already. All right. Well, Dr. Cordesco, on a little bit of a lighter note, um, Pete and I were just wondering when we were thinking about this podcast and what we wanted to ask you, um, we were wondering if you could go to dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would they be and why? And then where in New York City would you go to dinner with these three people? Oh, that's a great question, Rachel. So do those three people have to be limited to uh, shoulder and elbow surgeons, or could they be anybody? No, they can even be lowly knee surgeons. No, they they can be anyone. Um, We're just curious as to who you might like to have dinner with. Well, why don't we uh, – that's a good thought. I have to to think about it for a moment, but I I think for the benefit of this podcast, I'll probably limit it to – uh, ASCS members, uh, and perhaps shoulder and elbow surgeons from around the world as well. Um, you know, I just returned from the uh, annual closed meeting of SESIC, which was in Copenhagen this year. And, you know, we've we've been focusing on the American shoulder and elbow surgeons uh, during this uh, conversation, but I, I think it's important to remember that there have been international thought leaders as well uh, and obviously, we've benefited from uh, from all of them. There's a uh, there's a lot of cross pollination that occurs globally. Uh, and I'll just digress for a moment uh, along those lines. You know, Dr. Neer, uh, when I was at Columbia, would have one domestic fellow and one international fellow uh, each year. So there were two fellows. One was from obviously North America, and the other from somewhere around the world. And the interesting thing was, and again, this was at the time when shoulder and elbow surgery was just breaking out, so to speak. And when I look back on the members uh, who were the the international fellows, there were people like Fukuda, uh, Osvandra Lesh, Anthony Brown, um, and they went on to become presidents of their respective shoulder and elbow societies, uh, whether it was in South America, Japan, Europe, uh, and, you know, it was a very uh, interesting component of, of Nier's approach. He really wanted to 
spread the knowledge, and so did the other thought leaders at the time. So whether it was Dr. Rockwood, Dr. Cofield, uh, Dr. Hawkins, Dr. Matson, they all had international fellows. Uh, so getting back to your question, I would say that, you know, the people that would be really interesting to talk with from, from my standpoint would be some of the uh, the, the early uh, shoulder and elbow surgeons, uh, not just in the States, but in Europe. So I'm thinking uh, Latterjee, who obviously published his paper in 1954. Uh, that would be uh, an outstanding uh, example of, of someone to really sit down with and, and talk with. Uh, I would say the other person would be uh, Carter Rowe. I never had a chance to meet him. He was the second president of the American Shoulder and Elbow Surgeons. So if you think about ASES, we, you know, I, I think it's again gets back to this large tent uh, of shoulder and elbow people. So if you look at our first three presidents, um, and I, I'm sure I, if I asked the two of you offline, you could tell me immediately who those first three presidents were. But obviously, Dr. Neer was the founding president, Carter Rowe was the second president, and Frank Job was the third president. Uh, so when you think about sports, shoulder and elbow, Carter Rowe. The original description of, of, of the bank card as the essential lesion, uh, uh, and obviously uh, Dr. Job uh, with Tommy John surgery and everything else that he contributed with respect to the throwing shoulder and the throwing elbow. Uh, so uh, obviously I did have a chance to meet Dr. Job, and that was wonderful. Uh, I always enjoyed his uh, the messages he he gave to, to young people at the time. But Carter Rowe is one that I didn't have a chance to meet, and I would have liked to meet him. Uh, so that's two. You asked me if for a third. We haven't gotten to the restaurant yet. Uh, so a third person might, in fact, be Bristow for the reasons that I mentioned earlier. You know, again, a, a thought leader uh, didn't publish the paper himself. It actually took uh, a, a physician named Helfit, uh, who was actually uh, David Helfit's father. David's one of my colleagues at HSS to actually publish that paper. So those are three shoulder surgeons that I would have liked to have spent some time with. And then the question of where to have dinner in New York. And I wish I could tell you that I get out a lot in New York, but I really don't. Um, I would say that there's. Uh, I've always liked uh, La Bernadine, which is a wonderful seafood restaurant uh, in Manhattan. But there are many other wonderful places uh, to go. Uh, the Union Square Cafe is phenomenal. Um, I'll leave it at that. Other questions? I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. It's been just an amazing opportunity for us, um, and hopefully it will be um, an amazing opportunity for our listeners to hear your thoughts. Well, it's been my pleasure. And, and again, Peter and Rachel, I thank you both very much for, for really uh, spearheading and quarterbacking this initiative. I think it's uh, it's been a lot of fun for me to listen to the first two. Um, I hope that this third one, uh, is is as interesting to listen to, but um, I'm looking forward to the next uh, a bunch as well. So thank you very much for everything you do for the society. Uh, we're proud to have you as part of the American Shoulder and Elbow Surgeons, and and um, you know please reach out to me. And anyone who's listening uh, can always reach out to me either via email or my cell phone, uh, which is available uh, on our website. So. Uh, I'd welcome any calls uh, or or contact from any of the uh, members of our society to, at any point in time. 
Well, that's about all the time we have for this podcast. Thank you so much to our guest, ASCS President, Dr. Frank Cordasco. And for all our shoulder and elbow listeners out there, please do not forget to subscribe. We appreciate you listening in. On a personal note, Pete and I are judged based on the number of subscribers. I'm just kidding, but for real, we'd really like you to subscribe. So again, thanks for taking the time to listen to us and to listen to this podcast with Dr. Cordasco. For Peter Chalmers, I'm Rachel Frank, and we'll see you next time.